Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is a special installment of our Audacious Love series. Last week, we explored the world of dominance in BDSM, and this week, the subs and, as they call themselves, slaves are up to bat, or paddle. And I know we're all adults here, but if you do have kids with you right now, maybe it's best to listen to this one when they're not around. And if it makes you contract a little bit because of what you think you know about BDSM, consider sticking around. I became interested in all this thanks to a friend of mine who recently told me that she was a dominant. She then invited me to a late-night medically-themed kink party in her dungeon, a part of her house that I didn't know existed until now. So I went to Savers and got a pair of scrubs, picked up a bottle of wine, slammed down a couple shots of espresso and inner courage, and headed down to the dungeon. And it was there that I first knowingly met people who call themselves slaves. And before we go any further, I wanted to acknowledge that the word slave is a loaded one with a loaded history. Each person's relationship to the word is as unique as they are. So later we'll talk to one black woman who identifies as a slave And she'll talk about what that word means to her. But right now, meet Kate Kinsey. She's the author of How to Be a Healthy and Happy Submissive, a practical guide to making your fantasies a reality, and what submissives want to know. Real questions, real answers. I asked her to talk about the difference between being a submissive and being a slave. That's a whole can of worms there. People will argue about that all day long. Some people will tell you that a submissive is less than a slave, that a slave is more serious, more uh, committed, uh, because they've agreed to be property of their dominant, their master or mistress, uh, whereas a submissive is more flexible. But the truth is, in any BDSM relationship, the power exchange, it's negotiated between two people. And some people get so deeply into that mindset that when there's a problem, they'll they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, I, I can't leave him. I'm his slave. He owns me. I'm like, reality check. Slavery is not legal. There is no court or law enforcement in the world that's going to say you can't walk away from this person. And technically, when BDSM is done correctly, neither can someone insist you do something that you absolutely refuse to do. Some people get into that mindset, and sometimes it's what they want it to be. They want that level of ownership and obedience. But again, it's it's really all negotiable, and that's something people tend not to understand. Being a submissive does not mean you are submissive to everyone. Uh, it doesn't mean you're a doormat. It means that you are open and looking for a relationship with someone that you trust, that you can build intimacy with for this particular type of relationship because it fulfills some desire in yourself that will make you happy. 
So for you, what desire is that? And when did you discover that you could do something about it? In college, I ran across a friend's brother. Uh, We had all gone out as a group. And I don't know what he picked up in me that made him think I was open to this, but he latched himself onto me the entire lot night. Uh, When I got up to go to the bathroom, he insisted on going with me because he didn't want me to talk to anybody else. He maneuvered me to sit at the table in such a way that I was in the corner and couldn't get up unless he let me. And I had a mixture of reactions to it. One was, I'm not particularly attracted to you. And number two, who the hell are you to think that you have the right? Because I've not been a submissive personality. I've actually always been a rather dominant personality. And then somehow he talked me into driving him home before everybody else was ready to leave. And some things happened in the car and he started issuing orders. And I it turned out to be the most incredible erotic experience of my life. Even now, I remember it as one. Uh, but it was kind of weird once I learned what BDSM was that there was no conversation about it. It gets kind of weird when you're dealing with personalities. I will tell people, and it's a common thing, that everything should be discussed and negotiated. But that also kind of spoils that spontaneous thrill of somebody that you're not quite sure of. So years later, when I'm in regular relationships, I still hasn't found, haven't found anybody that could feed that interest in me. My fantasies got darker that I started looking for him again. I knew where he lived. He was a friend's brother, and he was not open to rekindling that because he was in another state. He was married, so that was disappointing. But by that time, I was on, you know, the Internet was everywhere. And you could start looking for people and see what they put in their profile. And I stumbled across a few people, and one was a gentleman who ran the local dungeon club here where I live. And I approached him. I said, I just want some information about this place. How can I attend? And we launched into conversations online in an AOL chat uh, that lasted an entire week, pretty much the whole day while we were both at work. And it was almost like, sexual psychotherapy. We talked about everything and I talked about things that I never mentioned to anybody else. So by the time we met, I was really primed and that was the end of it and took off from there. Now here you are on Audacious having written two books about this and and then some. Um, If it's okay, I'd love to go back to that moment in the car with with that guy. Can you articulate what it was that was lighting up in you? Because I can imagine that there are people, uh, especially women listening to you talking about, you know, he wanted to make sure that when I went from one place to another, that I was, nobody was, was alongside you and, and controlling where you sit. And I know that there are people listening to this and being like, are you kidding me? There's a f- oppression everywhere and you want this? Like, not only <laughs> do you want this, like this turns you on. It's the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to just hear like what, blossomed in you like what felt soothed or attended to or something like what was it that lit up in you when that was the way that you were treated 
I think that a lot of my desires and expectations and things I wanted were formed by the atmosphere in which I was raised. I was raised Southern Baptist, very sheltered, but yet I had a lot of interest early on in sex. And so I was ready, raring to go. And it was a great dismay of mine that no boy ever kissed me until I went to college. But so a lot of fantasies uh, fixated on not being the aggressor, you know, not initiating. I knew that if when I got married, I would be a virgin and my husband hopefully would be a more experienced guiding teacher. But then there were also the pirate kidnappings, um, a lot of Errol Flynn stuff. So I was kind of primed for seeing that behavior as being desired. I wonder, too, you, you said that you hadn't been kissed until you were 21. So I wonder how much how much of it is the desire to be desired. Sounds like a running thread through this. It is. I mean, that's part of the drive of submission, I think, is you equate that behavior is a sign that somebody really desires you to the extent that they want to make you belong to them. And the idea that somebody would just pick you out. What do people get wrong about subs? Uh, One is that it means that you are a weak-willed person, that you are helpless, you can't take control of your own life, and so you're looking for someone to take care of you. And that's not true, that they are submissive to absolutely everyone. Absolutely not. They are not a doormat. If you can't say no to someone, then your yes has absolutely no value. BDSM, when it's done correctly, is so centered in consent. I get the feeling that shame plays a pretty big role in why some people who may have these interests that you have, they don't explore it. And so if you could take somebody like that and like shake them by the shoulders and try to like snap them into this, what, what would you say to them? You have to get past what the expectations have been for you all your life of what you are and what you're supposed to be. Uh, You don't owe that to anybody else, only to yourself. And the important thing is being a good human being, a balanced human being. Uh, BDSM, these interests, they don't mean that you're sick. It doesn't mean you're crazy. Often there's the assumption you were abused as a child, which is no more true of people in, in the kinky community than it is of, you know, there are kinky people in Congress, in your PTA. Uh, it's just unfortunately abusive children and even as adults is just so common. It doesn't mean anything. I had a completely normal, perfect 1950s style almost upbringing. Now, there are some people in the BDSM community who have had horrific abuse in their life and they've actually gravitated towards this lifestyle because of the fact that it is so very much based in consent and who is in control. And they can do things that still gain intimacy. They reclaim the intimacy that's been stolen from them by 
be in a situation that they can control. They can say what it starts, when it stops, what you can do, what you can't. So, yeah, it can be a very healthy part of taking back what belongs to you, what you have a right to. Um, I believe everybody has a right to sexual gratification. Taking away a lot of the stereotypes and the myths helps a lot. Also, getting to know other kinky people helps a lot because you see just how prevalent it is. But safety first. Learn as much as you can. Enjoy the journey. Don't rush it. Well, Kate Kinsey, thank you very much for talking with me. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed I enjoy being able to talk about this. Um, thank you for asking. When we get back, what it means for three people to be slaves. Slaves don't have to be submissive. They have to be willing and obedient. And I'm both of those things. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. Individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal. For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging. Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. A discretionary note for our terrestrial radio listeners, if your kids are around... Maybe listen later on the podcast, because this hour we're learning about BDSM and kink. Last week we heard all about the world of dominance, but now it's time to see life from the sub side of things. You're meeting people who identify as slaves today, and Kim DeBron from Australia considers herself property of Master Joe. She's also the author of two books, Broken Links and Souls in Chains. I asked her to talk about the evolution of the labels she's used for herself. I used to call myself a submissive because that's the label that I had found. And it took a conversation with another slave to make me realise that what I was was not a submissive because I really don't have a submissive bone in my body. I really don't. I'm not a submissive person at all. But I choose to give my submission to one person. I choose to let that person be in control and and to look after my life. And that other slave said to me, you're you're not a submissive, you're a slave. Slaves don't have to be submissive, they have to be willing and obedient. And I'm both of those things. Does Master Joe ever ask you to do something that you really, really don't want to do? He's never really asked me to do anything that's beyond my capabilities. 
And I like to tell the story that, like, we used to do a lot of teaching and, and a lot of, like, you know, trying to raise awareness for this kind of lifestyle. And I used to do a seminar. We used to follow a trade show around with our business called Sexpo. And I used to do um, a seminar once a day about what is BDSM and what does it mean to people to be in these relationships. And I used to say, look, if he told me to jump off a cliff, I would do it. But I might want to know why I'm jumping off the cliff first. I trust him with my life. So if he wanted me to jump off a cliff, I'd go, okay, but why am I doing this? Please tell me why before I jump. And it might be because, you know, there's a herd of elephants coming and he needs me to be safe and he knows there's a ledge down there. He's never going to put me in danger, you know, and any any master that puts their submissive or slave in danger is not is not a genuine master at all. They're abusive. Everything needs to be consensual, everything. No is not an option. What does that do for you? It's true that you don't have a say and you don't have a choice, but you really do. <laughs> it sounds really silly to say that, but a slave makes a choice once when she, when he or she makes that choice to be that person's slave. Any other choices are only at the whim of the of the person that he or she is serving. As I was reading through your website, I noticed the deep admiration that you have for him that is evident as soon as you start reading. And I also saw that you always capitalize the M for master and the H for he and him. And of course, that makes me think about the connection to God and religion. Would you say that Master Joe is a sort of God to you? Um, that's a hard question. I don't believe in God at all. But it's easy to put someone on a pedestal. But the capitalization um, is a mark of respect for the person. The other dynamic that I felt reminded of when I saw you two interact in a video is that of a strict parent and a child. Like you have to ask for permission to use the bathroom. He can send you to the corner if you misbehave. Are submissives and slaves like children in some ways and the dominant is like a parent or is that not quite right? Um, look, a lot of people do make that sort of comparison. And in the beginning, yes, I did ask for everything because he needed me to understand that my life belonged to him. And the way to get me to understand that was if you want to go to the bathroom, you ask me and I might say no. And he did do that a couple of times. So I learned to ask well before I was really desperate. But um, I think some people can liken it to that. Um, I just think it's about it's about knowing your place within the life, I think, within your relationship. I think that's what it's about more than anything. Some dominants or masters or whichever name you want to use, some of them will play on that and take it to extremes. Master Joe might do it sometimes because he was very sadistic, you know. So you want to go to the toilet? No. Wait. How does it feel when you get a no like that? Is it sexually exciting? Is it psychologically? Like what What? What lights up in you when he says, no, you can't go to the bathroom? It used to excite me. Anything he said used to excite me. You know, he'd only have to look at me and I'm like a, a dribbling mess, you know. I used to love that being sent to the corner. I thought that was really funny because I, because I was such a naughty child and, and I was such a rebellious teenager and a very wild young lady when I was much younger. And, um, you know, to be sent to the corner, I used to stand there and giggle. 
you know, and he would come along and grab my hair and go, I beg your pardon, did I tell you you could giggle? It just it just floats my boat, I suppose, is what it is. And I think you'd find if you asked most submissives or slaves, they would say the same thing. If he was really cross with me, I would think that I disappointed him and that that would make me very sad. But in, in a playful way of, you know, you can't go to the toilet or you need to go to the corner, that's just um, a bit of fun. You know, that's fun. That's punishment, not punishment. You know, punishment is very different. It's not I don't want punishment ever because I feel like I've disappointed him, I've let him down. If, if, if he's cross with me for something, if I've done something wrong, then I've let him down and I feel terrible. Do you tell him that you feel terrible? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And punishment for him um, he would never punish with physical punishment, ever, ever, not ever. It was more likely to stand in the corner in a different room away from me. I don't want to see you, you know, you can't, or you can't have your internet or you can't go and write lines by hand. He would never punish me with spanking or anything like that because I I never would have behaved myself because I like being spanked. So just find another way to get in trouble. Yeah, that's it. And and um, before I met Master Joe, I went and played for a weekend with a dominant who lived in Tasmania. So I flew there. I didn't tell anyone I was going, which is really silly. Didn't even tell my son. This particular so-called dominant, you know, we got back to his house and, and we did a, a couple of things. And then he sat me in the corner and he said, now you need to be a good girl because I need to do some work. And I sat there for about 10 minutes and I got bored. So I stomped my foot. And he said, now, you need to be a good girl. I've told you that, you know, 10 minutes, and I poked my tongue out. And he said, if you keep doing that, I'll have to spank you. Well, I spent the whole weekend um, poking out my tongue, stomping my foot and getting spanked. I had a lovely time. And um, he took me back to the airport and said I was the very worst submissive he had ever met and I would never find anyone um, to take me on. Anyway, fast forward six months, and that particular dominant had moved to Melbourne. And by then I was with Master Joe. And because that particular dominant um, wanted to be accepted in the community, he had a housewarming party and he invited Master Joe, who was very well known. And Master Joe said, oh, yes, I'll bring my, my new girly with me, me. Anyway, we walked in the door and that poor dominant, his jaw just about hit the floor when he saw me. And he couldn't say anything. He just kept watching me for ages and ages. And then he turned around and, he's, and he looked at um, me and he said, I'm waiting. And I said, what are you waiting for? He said, I'm waiting for you to be to misbehave. And Master Joe just looked at him and said, she doesn't do that with me. Just like that. <laughs> what do you wish more people understood about the sub-dom-slave-master relationship um, that people don't really get? I wish that people knew or I wish that people understood that our lifestyle isn't sick and twisted, that it's just people living a different type of lifestyle. You know, I wish people understood that and didn't um, frown upon us, you know. It takes a lot for people to understand and when people don't understand, they tend to say, oh, that's just sick and twisted. You know, you're sick in the head. I hate that because I don't think it's true at all. And I wish that people could be a little bit more understanding when you choose to live this type of life and to understand that you're actually making a choice. And if you're not making a choice, then you're being abused. 
And there are people, there are people that come into this lifestyle for the wrong reasons. They come in thinking that they can, you know, find a woman um, who will just do whatever they want and, and, you know, oh, I can lend her out to all my friends. And, you know, I mean, that does happen occasionally, but it's not the norm. The norm is like Master Joe and me. Just normal everyday couples who go about their business, someone still has to put the rubbish out, someone still has to do the shopping, pay the bills, no different to anybody else really. It's just that we choose to live a different type of life and and I choose to let him be in charge. And um, the other thing I would say is that um, the difference between a submissive and a slave, a submissive makes a choice every time he or she is asked to do something, whether it be conscious or not, makes a choice to obey. A slave makes that choice only once when she chooses to be that person's slave. You know, and, and as a slave, you don't have to be submissive. You can choose to give your submission to one person, which is what I've done. But I'm not submissive. You ask anybody that knows me. <laughs> I'm actually wearing a T-shirt at the moment that says, so apparently I have an attitude. Who knew? And that is me all over, you know. I I I love to. I'm a t-shirt person, and I buy a t-shirt every year for my birthday. And this was my this year's t-shirt. So, um, but really, I think I think it's just that I wish people could be a little bit more open-minded about when they see people in these types of relationships. And it's not always all about sex. It's about the connection between two people. You don't have to have sex to to have fun with BDSM. Well, Kim Debron, thank you so much for talking with me. I really enjoyed speaking to you and it's been lovely. Thank you so much. We're going out with Kim and Master Joe's wedding song, Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. After the break, two more people who identify as slaves, including Bliss. Look, I'm a slave and that's that. This is an integral part of me and it's cool. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. Never open myself this way. Life is ours, will it in our way? Always words I don't just say. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. So you've never donated to this station before? That's okay. Public Media Giving Days are a great time to make your first gift. Here's how. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. A final heads up, if there are kids around the radio right now, today's episode is about submissives in the world of kink. So maybe save it for another time. At the top of the show... I mentioned the kink party I was invited to in the basement dungeon of a friend of mine. And when I say dungeon, I don't mean anything dark or musty. This place was beautiful, decked out with whips and paddles perfectly lined up against the walls. 
An OBGYN table, stirrups at attention, a spanking bench, which I'd never seen before, very moppable flooring, and hilariously, a sign that you see at the bottom of the stairs that read, quote, Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Close to 30 people were there, including Chastity Slave, a collared slave of my friend, the Dominant. He told me that after his divorce, he finally felt able to explore this side of himself. He said he'd been curious about this master-slave dynamic since middle school, so after doing lots of research, he found my friend and began having sessions with her. I wanted to know, did the session include any sex? No, not at all. Not at all. It was, uh, I was first, I remember, you know, we had a consultation. Even now, you know, I, I see the lady every two weeks for, you know, play night and whatnot. And, you know, our first session included, I was, you know, put on the spanking bench. That's where you saw me during that scene. I was on the spanking bench. And yeah, the rest was history. Can I back us up for a second? So this first lady is the one who is now your master. What do you call her your master? Yeah, she's my owner. She's yeah, my master. Yeah. And what do you call yourself? I'm her slave. I'm her collared slave. What are those obligations or expectations for you as a slave? It's really cool because there are only a few collared slaves in the household. And, you know, I'm very lucky and grateful to be one of them, you know, and we all have like different duties. Like I do, you know, all the, you know, I do the house cleaning. Another slave does all the housework. So any repairs that need to be done, another slave cooks. So we all like have different duties that, um, so we're never stepping on other, each other's feet, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's just like any other relationship, you know, be prepared to be there for her needs. So some people may think that the dom sub master slave relationship is one person taking advantage of the other, but no, not at all. I think that there's just a, you know, a perception. If you don't know anything about this and if you haven't lived the lifestyle, there's a perception that you know, tops are mean, tops yell. It's all give, give, give from the slaves. But it's it really is. It's the most loving relationship I've ever been in. And, you know, I think everybody will say that about their owners, you know, and their masters. You know, it's um, we're there for each other. You know, like when I had COVID, she made sure I was OK almost on a daily basis, asked me if I needed anything. And it, it goes both ways. It's just like how you know, you and I react, you know, treat each other. It's just like, it's just like that. So what does it mean to you to be collared by her? Like, is this, is this for life? Yeah. You know, it's just like anything else. It's, um, it's a commitment, you know, I'll go back to that marriage thing. It's just, you know, a commitment. She takes care of her property, which is me. And, you know, I'm going to be there to, you know, fulfill her needs. The way I look at it is, you know, I'm on call for her 24-7. If she needs me, you know, then I'll be there. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. A lot of people in the community are on Twitter. And whenever these collarings happen, you know, you'll see people in, you know, the Twitter feed saying, oh, lucky, lucky slave, lucky slave. But what it comes down to is 
the only luck in the equation is, you know, meeting her in the first place. You know what I mean? Coming across this great person in the first place. After that, it's all work. It's, you know, time and commitment from the owner and the slave. You know what I mean? And putting in that work and, you know, making yourself this person that's going to be good enough to serve. You make me think about how, um, at least from where I'm coming from, this excitement to serve I wonder if you think that is a way that you are wired. It's the way you would have been no matter where you were born, to what parents you were born, whatever happened to your life. And or how much do you think it's like something happened in your life to excite that response? I identify this way. So like I identify as a slave. That's how I identify. I Like a sexual orientation, like I'm gay. That's exactly it. When you get those little census, you know, things in the mail and it says, like, how do you identify? And there's that other box. It takes every ounce of willpower in me to not check off that other box and write in slave because I identify that way. So it's just how I'm wired, just like how she's, you know, wired as a dominant. It's just how we're wired. It's an orientation. I'd love to hear about your relationship with the other slaves in the household and in her life. And she's also married what what is that dynamic like do you feel um jealous ever no and i actually i keep a journal and i wrote a really good thing about jealousy and why it's not really great for the household and if you're a true slave why you can't really have jealousy um you know but like for instance when i when i messaged you this morning i wanted to message you early because i was actually going to do an oil change at one of the other slaves houses so it's chosen family i mean that's what it really comes down to they're you know they're my brothers that's really what it comes down to um we're lucky we all get along we don't step on each other's toes we support each other and the main goal is to work together and to make sure her needs are being taken care of. That's, you know, and as long as that happens, we all succeed. I want to ask about the name Chastity Slave. We are using a pseudonym for this conversation um, because you actually fill in that blank. Why are we using a pseudonym for this conversation, Chastity Slave? Chastity was something I never thought would happen in my life. <laughs> it's funny because we came to the conclusion that it was because when I was living in New York, you know, we did it to kind of like keep our DS going, you know, in between sessions. DS meaning like Dom sub relationship. Exactly. And I'm called the chastity slave because as you re probably remember from the party, I wear a chastity device, you know, it's long-term. She puts it on and she takes it off as she pleases. And Complaints only get me longer in chastity. And I learned I learned that, you know, I guess, if you will, the hard way. But yeah, the way I see it is I'm her property. She owns all of me. And whether or not she's with you, right, too? Whether or not she's with me. And that's what it comes down to. And it's part of our dynamic has been for a few years. And I have no idea when, you know, when I'll be unlocked or, you know, when I'm unlocked, I have no idea. I might get a text message on 2 p.m. on a Wednesday telling me to relock. And, you know, I relock and send her a picture of me locked up. And um, that's it. But, yeah, it's um, when I'm unlocked, my sensations are just like out of this world. It's just insane. 
So like, you know, I could go a month, I could go two months, I could go, you know, three weeks, I just don't know, you know, when I'll be unlocked. And when you know, she unlocks me, like, everything's just so sensitive. And that's kind of like what I look forward to when I'm unlocked. And it gives her pleasure knowing that I'm locked. And what's really interesting is, it takes the thought off of my own needs, and makes me more focused on how I can better serve her. I don't have access to myself. Like my my needs and desires don't matter. You know what I mean? At this very moment, if I'm looking- Except for the needs to please her. Except for the needs to please her. I start brainstorming ideas on like, you know, how I can, you know, serve her better and, you know, things I can work on for myself to be a better slave. And it's 100% true. I mean, that's probably uh, the biggest takeaway from chastity is it, re- it just diverts my needs off of myself and puts all that energy onto how can I better serve the lady. Well, uh, I've asked everything I planned on, amazingly. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that you say? Realizing that, you know, BDSM is just, you know, it's a loving thing. It really is. It's about sharing energy, you know, and that's what it comes down to. Like when we were at, you know, when I was, you know, on the spanking bench at the kink party. You were so happy. You and I made eye contact. And when I'm in subspace, there's only... You know, the only thing that matters are me and my owner and the energy that we share. You know, that's it. And at that party, you know, you were thrown into the equation and we shared that energy. And it's just about sharing energy, sharing love. And, you know, doms aren't mean people. Masters aren't mean people. They look out after their property. I'm her property. Like, if you owned, you know, a car, would you want to... You know, you would want to make sure that you're keeping, you know, that car running well. You know what I mean? And this is no different. If there's something in life, life is short. And if there's something you want to try, then then you have to go for it. Because, you know, I started as just a client and through just, you know, natural progression of a, a relationship, I was able to get to my inner core, which, you know, which is how I identify again as slave. And um, it's, you know, obviously life changing. Yeah. Well, Chastity Slave, thank you for telling me your story. Thank you for having me. By the way, we did not use Chastity Slave's government name for this broadcast to protect the privacy of his family, but he was sure to say that if anyone recognizes his voice, he'd love it if you'd reach out and ask him all of your questions. Our final guest today is known as Bliss, a pseudonym she prefers to use since talking about all this can be a delicate operation. She joined me from her home in Maryland. I fully identify as a slave, and it just took me years to be okay with that. (laughs) That was the type of relationship or dynamic that I wanted. I wanted to essentially be possessed by the person that I'm in a relationship with. And there are a lot of 
issues with that. If I had said that to any of my vanilla acquaintances and I did like at least once, it turned into how could you do, how could you want anything like this? I think that is because of your past that you want to even do anything like this or you want to be around people like this or whatever the case would be. And while it is very true that there are a lot of people because of the trauma of their past, they tend to perpetuate that trauma over and over and over in a variety of different ways. That was not the case for me. I wanted something healthy and I wanted something that was a delight to everyone involved. I did not want to be abused. I did not want to be neglected. I did not want to be treated like I am an inanimate object. No offense if that's your thing. Cool. But that's not what I wanted. I did not want to be treated like transatlantic slave. That's not what I was looking for. I am not into that type of race play. And I know that there are some people who are. Again, whatever floats your boat between two or more consenting adults, fine. That's not my thing. Can you talk about some of the other terms that are used for what you identify with in addition to slave? Like one can say that they're a thrall, a slave, property, I could refer to my owner as my owner, my master, my possessor. The bottom line is, you know, in a way that anyone can understand it is like, look, I'm a slave and that's that. No matter where I go, I'm always going to look to serve in some kind of way. It doesn't matter if it's lifestyle or not, if I'm owned or not. This is what it is because this is apparently an integral part of me. And I accept it. And it's cool. When I think about the power of words and labels and how the meanings of those words change, I think about, like, I'm a queer woman, and I don't even like the word queer for me, but I, I understand how it can be sort of taken back by those of us in this community. But when you say you're a slave, it doesn't mean the slave that a lot of people jump to and maybe feel a bit tense thinking about a black woman calling herself a slave, right? Right. Well, you know, we can thank history for that. And we can also thank the present for that because we look at human trafficking now and there are people who are still being sold into slavery. But what history has taught us it, well, has given us is that pretty much an entire continent was enslaved in some type of way. You have this building of the concept of race, then you have this concept building of one race being superior to the other. And this is why you're enslaved. This is why we're taking your land. This is why we are stealing your resources. This is why you can't benefit 
really from anything that we're doing. We have to control you because you're savages and you can't control yourself. So what the transatlantic slave trade and colonialism did is a huge tragedy. So my embracing the label of slave, I know the context of it. And while I am not using it as a way to, you know, reclaim anything, like, you know, how women, women will often, you know, like, I'm that and I'm that and, you know, this and that or whatever. I don't find it empowering. That's not a compliment to me. So it's not in the same vein where this is something empowering, like you were saying, taking words and turning them around to find some level of empowerment. I guess I could say I'm making a statement of just how I am, my disposition, that I am one that is slavish. It's something that I delight in. It's something that uh, feeds me in some kind of way. It's something that I'm not ashamed of. So it's not so much me trying to reclaim and forget history or turn it all around. No, it actually is what it is. This is consensual. This is by my consent. This is a passion of mine. Whereas for my ancestors and the others in history, that wasn't by consent. It wasn't a passion of theirs. It was something that hurt them. It was something that is one of the greatest evils in the world that has ever existed. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And that difference hinges on consent. When you're describing yourself as someone who loves to be of service, I can think of like 15 people off the top of my head who share that sort of just, it's their wiring. It's the way they are. It's the way they've always been. And they have a bunch of outlets, you know, church and, and other organizations that they can donate their time to and their effort to, the personality, their per, their joy to. And it makes me think like, first of all, huh, I wonder how many of these people would be or are kinky like are submissive or slaves uh, i just don't know it and kind of more heartbreakingly how many of them if they were in a culture that was more accepting how many of those people would be able to explore their giving side in their sexual and romantic lives i'll tell you a secret you can't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Except for everybody listening to Audacious, yeah. Right. <laughs> Whenever I have been in the position of giving advice, especially to couples or a part of a couple in the vanilla world, all I'm really doing is giving them MS advice. And it works. <laughs> 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 it 
is mostly because of something that I might see in that person. And usually it's a woman, um, maybe a wife. And I have even low-key said to a husband, I've low-key said, you know, maybe you should give her some tests to do. And the responses are always positive. So I think that there are many people who are like that. They just don't know it. Any advice for somebody who maybe is hearing this and hearing them, hearing themselves in this conversation and they don't know how to explore this? It would serve you very well to form friendships uh, before jumping into relationships, especially uh, relationships involving any level of ownership or whatever, <sighs> as my mom used to say, don't don't take no wooden nickels. Don't do that <laughs> because it will make your journey murky and you will not enjoy any of that at all. So. Just take your time and be safe. Practice, you know, safe, safer sex. Learn, even if you're a bottom, learn what you, you can just watch. You don't have to do, but go to demonstrations, demos of people doing the things that you would like to do that you're interested in doing so you go to rope demos you go to single tail demos and flogging demos because you know if you have someone who's flogging you and they're flogging you in all the wrong places that can injure you and that's not what we want so you know you have to make yourself aware you have to understand the risks and that the risks are not always physical there are mental and emotional risks as well. So take your time because all of this kink is not going anywhere. And if someone is rushing you, they can go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just not with you. <laughs> yeah. And um, you have to be confident enough to recognize that and say, you're not for me and keep it moving. Bliss, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, you are welcome. I really appreciated this. This is fun. You can see G-rated photos from the kink party I went to with Chastity Slave's approval, of course, at ctpublic.org slash audacious. And you can listen to last week's show about dominance at ctpublic.org slash audacious love. That's where you'll see a playlist of some of our favorite conversations about attraction, desire, and uncommon relationships. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and like a good submissive, share, share, share. Audacious is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin D. Martinez, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford with help from our interns, Elizabeth Van Arnhem and Melody Rivera. Send me your reactions to today's show and anything else I could do for you. What can I do for you? I would do anything for you on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.